Proverbs chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. One man pretends to be rich, yet he has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. Eric, as you know, I, I did a doctorate, a doctorate of ministry on the question, if Jesus is good news to the poor, and if he identified his message as being good news to the poor, then how do we preach that message to people who are materially wealthy? Is his good news to the poor bad news to them? Or can it still be good news to people who are materially rich? And one of my discoveries in working on that doctorate was that the Bible defines wealth and poverty in terms beyond finances. There's relational poverty. There's spiritual poverty. You can have all the money in the world and be very poor spiritually. And in that case, then, good news to the poor, the gospel, is still good news to you. You have to identify your measurement of poverty. And I bring that up because here in in this Proverbs 13 passage, it's a little hint at this. It's a hint at the fact that the Bible doesn't just describe wealth and poverty in terms of finances. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. I just, it's interesting. It's descriptive, isn't it? This, a poor man hears no threat, meaning no one's coming after him. No one's coming, no one's threatening to steal his stuff because he doesn't have any stuff, right? So there's ways of measuring wealth and poverty. I, I have, um, this gives me hope actually, because what it means is that the message of the gospel and good news to the poor is relevant to everyone on earth. Everyone who can identify any measurement of poverty in their lives, they can receive the gospel because Jesus is good news to the poor. So I, as you were uh, talking about that, um, I think the word pretend is very interesting in terms of the verse itself. Yeah. Uh, pretense uh, is part of, like, particularly when you're younger, um, you want to be the person in charge, the, you know, the cool person in the room. Uh, there's so much pretense going on, and oftentimes hmm. it it's revolves around wealth. Because to be a poor person in a, at a rich person's dining room table is probably not a cool thing to be. Mm. But uh, what I actually thought about when I read uh, reread this passage is mm-hmm. I've been reading a book right now that is incredibly eye-opening. And it makes a very famous American novelist now a prophet. Uh, because what hmm. he described in this book written around 1980 was really what's going on in our culture and what ails so much of the political and uh, cultural mm-hmm. dynamic of America, which is very different than it was 20 years ago. So that's why I call the book hmm. prophetic. The book, and not the movie, is called The Bonfire mm-hmm. of the Vanities by Tom Thomas Wolfe. And okay. the character in it, who uh, is described as a master of the universe, is a fellow named Sherman McCoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole book is really about New York City. So we're on the environments of, of that. But I was on the yeah. periphery of what the books in, in my New York days, what the book is describing. And it's describing what you're... you're it's, it's not describing... Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's not a church filled book, 
These are people wandering with influence around the world, and the church is kind of a backdrop for them. It's not... Mm. It's not central to them. And the corruption described here is always a aspect of needing more when you already have too much. I don't know very many rich people who are not just a little bit stingy. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Same. Same. And I think, you know, this masters of the universe phrase is, is vivid. And uh, there's a little bit, a little bit of that, even in my own mind, if I'm being honest, my own heart, you know, I kind of like to think of myself as master of my own domain. But, (laughs) but when I do that, when any of us does that, we're missing out to bring it back to what I brought up at the beginning, we're missing out on the gospel then, because the gospel is what Jesus said. It's good news to the poor. So if I can't identify any measurement of poverty in my own life, then I'm rejecting the gospel, basically. So forget all this pretending to be rich thing that it says here in Psalm. I need to be honest and vulnerable about my own need for him. And then I can, I can receive him. Yeah, I, I, uh, can I read you a little differently as a, as a person I've known for seven or eight years? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I read you as somebody that has been given by God himself, you know, this amazing purpose. And it Hmm. started showing signs of fulfillment when you became the senior pastor at Stanwich Church. Mm -hmm. And then a curveball was thrown to you and a lot of other people with COVID. You had yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. you know, closed down, uh, you know, face to face kind of, you know, yeah. things yeah. and you do everything over Zoom, which was a substitute, but it's not the real thing. But these were little tests of, you know, the and leadership's the wrong word. I, I, I think that if I were trying to figure out your mission and what I know about Stanford and mm-hmm. Stanwich Church and mm-hmm. Greenwich, Connecticut mm-hmm. and Manhattan and all this stuff. I think, uh, assuming you stay in this neighborhood, you're an influencer. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I don't think it's not that you don't have to worry about sin. That's not your mission. You've taken right. care of that. Right. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. We all do every day. Right. That's not yep. the point. I think the point is the power that comes from a confidence in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. And once you right. have that confidence, it doesn't matter if somebody in the congregation doesn't like the cut of your jib or the nature of your sermon. <laughs> yeah. uh, it really, what only matters is you're now, you know, you're as obedient, you're a slave to Christ, yeah. and you're as obedient mm-hmm. as Paul was. When I remember in an earlier thing, I said, where, where are all the Pauls? I may not have said this, it may mm-hmm. have been a separate conversation. Yeah, the no, church's it, job yeah. is to create Pauls. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people don't like Paul because he tells the truth. Mm-hmm. But Paul influenced not just that locale where he started his ministry and the whole Mediterranean region, uh, concluding in Rome, but the whole world. There's something hmm. like 2 billion Christians in the world today without Paul, who knows, right? 
But I, I think that where are the Pauls? We're not, none, none, none of us can be that. I mean, because he's unique, right, of course. but he's also yeah. a model. And I'm saying mm-hmm. it's an amazing model for you because I don't see anything but yourself holding you back, actually. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, to bring it back to the word of God and your emphasis on that, like really the heavy lifting and the real influence happens in a ministry like mine or yours or anyone's insofar as we can get the word of God in front of people and let the Holy yeah. Spirit lead them. So that's the mission. That's what Paul did too. You know, that's the mission is to get the gospel out there and let the gospel bear the fruit. Absolutely. It's a, but that's exactly what he did, right? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. he was what he's a, he was a catalyst for that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen.